I explore this thought through uh, this concept of the beholders share this idea that God is both artist and he is both audience. And so in that interaction between us and everything that we do in our lives, like he is ultimately the one that assigns value and worth to all we are and all we do, whatever it is that we're doing, however we're working, whatever we're making, um, as we do those things, we can do them knowing that he has his gaze on us. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Rachel Marie Kong is the author of Let There Be Art, The Pleasure and Purpose of Unleashing the Creativity Within You. In this episode, Rachel and I discuss creative collisions, finding balance between art making and other life responsibilities, and creating right where you are. Rachel Marie Kong, I'm so glad to have you on the Habit Podcast today. Thanks for making time for me. Thank you, Jonathan. So you're new-ish. I mean, I guess it's now been out a couple of weeks, but your your new book is um, Let There Be Art. Um, and so, you know, one of the themes that recurs in this this book is the idea that creativity grows out of a person's life right it's not this thing that comes from outside necessarily I mean, in some in some sense it does come from outside but but your particular kind of creativity grows out of your life um so i'd like to hear about your your life and what led you to do creative work and to and just as importantly to cultivate creativity in other people Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I always joke around and say, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I I don't know if there was the passion to write first or this, you know, inkling of a curiosity, or if I just simply picked up the pen and pad and and started writing my poems and my thoughts. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. But what I do know is that that's how it started, is it started out with a journal and Mm -hmm. a pen, writing poems, writing my thoughts down. And then there was this evolution of, okay, now I'm taking these poems and I'm turning them into songs. Mm -hmm. And now I'm finding that I really enjoy writing essays in school and now Mm -hmm. in college. And so um, just this progression, you know, that kind of kept unfolding until in college, I realized I didn't just have this, um, this thing that I, that I, that I um, turned to and felt natural, but I realized, hey, there's a passion here. Mm-hmm. Um, how about I turn this into a pursuit? And so I went from having one major in college to then being undeclared to finally uh, taking up creative writing. And, um, you know, that season of undergraduate studies and then, the you know, a few years after that, it was more so still just cultivating that passion, this mm-hmm. this thing, this craft that I love so much. And it wasn't until a few years later where I realized, hey, you know, this thing that I love, I can actually use it as a way to welcome others, a way to serve others. Uh And so at that point, uh, maybe 2016, really, I felt this shift in my life towards, um, you know, this thing that was just this personal pursuit, this pleasure to yeah. then using it to uh, connect with others and and eventually help them cultivate their own creativity. Mm, yeah. Um, you glad you majored in creative writing? 
I do not regret that for one minute. (laughs) And, you know, there was a time in college, I remember that first day showing up to my would-be advisor's office and there were towers of books everywhere. And and it was just so quintessential. And there was just a a fraction of a second where I said, am I, am I going to, is this the right thing? Uh-huh. And then after I got into conversation with, um, you know, who he eventually did become my advisor, I was like, no, this is, this is the way to go. This, yeah. this is it. Yeah. I, I, sometimes people ask me about creative writing, you know, creative writing program. I, I don't, I just know very little about creative writing programs and um, never quite know what to tell them, whether it's a good idea to develop, you know, to, to do that as a, as a writer to major in that or, yeah. you know, the, the, the class that I think had the biggest Influence on me as a writer. I, I mean, of course, literature classes, but because I majored in, in English and and uh, in literature. Um, but besides that, my geology class just blew my mind and made me mm. want to go write some stuff. Yeah, um, just to see the way that that sort of hidden forces make their way, make their mark on the world. Just felt like this is you know, geology is just metaphor at work. You know. Yeah. Um, that is so interesting. So, Flannery yeah, O'Connor really... kind of said to do what who, she also, you know, Flannery O'Connor got an MFA, so she let me read the talk about creative writing. But, but, uh, but she, she emphasized take whatever classes or do whatever makes you better at looking and seeing and paying attention. Yes. You know? Yes. Whether that's drawing or whether that's, um, you know, reading about rocks or whatever. Yes. And it's so key, I think. Um, to just be able to learn from people that are different from you. Like when uh-huh. I look back at my, um, those undergraduate years and I, I really can't tell more than 10 major lessons that I've learned. Right. Um, about life, you know, through those classes, which were taught by professors that had totally different outlooks than, than I did. And, you know, mm-hmm. and so I, I do frequently share, you know, people are like, what are things that you took away from those years? And I'm like, well, um, in writing theory, I might not have written any amazing essays or anything, but I learned through that that uh, writing journal that we had to hand in each week from one of my professors um, that I needed a better worldview because mm-hmm. every entry was me, 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 mm-hmm. I, I, I. Yeah. And so I remember that first marked down grade that I got in this journal that was for me, yeah. um, for my own creative writing. And he said, why don't you look around you? Yeah. Write about the trees, write about what's happening, not just in your inner world, but your outer world. Kind of like what you're saying, you know, these yeah. things that that help us to see more. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I love that. I love that so much. The the idea that, that the writer's work is to look. I mean, of course, there's going to be some some inwardness involved. If you don't have any inner life, you're not going to be much of a writer. But um, but I love, I, I you know, as I help other writers I, I like talking about looking out and, mm-hmm. and uh, giving an account of what you've seen on the outside, not just on the inside. Mm-hmm. So That's so good. So you talk about the idea it, it, somewhere. I saw that, that you, that you see this book as an invitation to people to create right where they are. Uh, um, and I'd love to hear more about that. So I think this book, I mean, this book sort of began to take shape as you were, you know, uh, had a newborn baby and we're, we're uh, dealing with some health issues. Maybe I, if I remember correctly um, yeah. and it had to come out, that's the only place it could come out of because that's where you were. Right. Right. 
So tell me about that, this idea of inviting people to create right where they are. Yeah. You know, I, I think about this book and just like you said, the situations that I wrote from and really had no choice but to write from. Um, and I also think back to my beginning too, you know, that young girl that picked up a journal and just, mm -hmm. you know, is writing. And even then writing was available to me, right? Mm -hmm. I probably had stashes of paper. I probably had journals that my parents had gifted me and pens mm -hmm. in the house. And so even then I was already using what was already there mm -hmm. um, available to me. And so much of that is is very true of this book. And what my hope is to, to, to invite people into is, you know, we think that when we're picking up a, a pleasure or a passion, we have to go out and get the most expensive and expensive tools that we have to have the most of time. And really there, there's just this subtle invitation to, to begin right where you are. And so, yeah, a little bit about, you know, my, uh, life as I was writing this book, I, um, you know, was pregnant at first when I, got signed to write this book. We're in the middle of a pandemic, can't really go anywhere, can't really do anything. Um and then as the 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 months were just, you know, unfolding, I was actually walking through a health journey in which, you know, for a very long time there was no diagnosis. And so, yeah, there were days where I couldn't bring myself to give a hundred percent, you know, maybe my body was a tired or weak. Um, and even just thinking about, you know, resources, like I wanted to get so many books. I wanted to do so much research, research for this book. And yet there was so little time. There was really not, you know, this is like beginning stages of 2020 where yeah. we're all still like, where is this going? You know, yeah. this pandemic, uh, how, what is life going to be like in the next six months, a year from now? Yeah. Um, and so all of that is kind of halted, you know, and, and, and I've told people, I've said, I actually am so thankful that I got to write this particular book in this time of my life. I've been pursuing this for 10 years, right? I've right. been on this journey for 10 years and it just so happened that in the last two, I got to write this book when I had the most limitations on my life. Yeah. And so as much as I extend that invitation and as much as I, you know, give prompts and prayers and poems and um, reflective research in this book, what I'm also offering is my own testi testimony and my uh -huh. own experience of like, here's this book. It is not the most perfect book, <laughs> but just like I am telling you that in your lack in your limitations, in your strain for time and resources, and even inspiration, that you too can possibly make something, you know. Yeah. Um, and I hope that speaks to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it. I, I spoke to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you you mentioned a an old Latin motto uh, that I'd never seen before: uh, "Libri aut liberi." Mm -hmm. books or children <laughs> the mm -hmm. idea that that you can either make books or you can raise kids but it's it's uh really uh, uh not feasible to do both yeah. um and uh you take issue with that that I do motto. I do Tell me about that. <laughs> I think well well first I have to say I also myself I've never encountered this thought before 
Uh Um, And I studied very briefly and not extensively, but I did study Latin in in, uh, college for two years. And so I think like when I came across this, I was like, what? Uh But it makes so much sense. And so I will say, um, you know, I I was introduced to this idea in a book, Creativity by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. He is, uh, you know, uh, they call him the father of flow. Uh, So this thought just it kind of arrested me because i thought oh my gosh we are not living in ancient rome we mm-hmm. have evolved since but there is still this lingering uh conception or thought that that this is true that we can only spend our lives um raising children or cultivate a, you know growing a career um mm. that it's that it's this one or other thing and and which is understandable because both are so demanding mm. right if you're cultivating a community a church um if you're trying to cultivate a career you're trying to cultivate your creativity to do that alongside of investing yourself in a family however that looks yeah. really if that's children or just a spouse or however that looks um that it's impossible um and again i think it goes back to what i was just saying before is that we have these limitations on us and there is a very real reality that we all of us we live with lack mm-hmm. and that ebbs and flows through seasons. Sometimes it's resources. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's inspiration. Sometimes it's your physical strength, your endurance, your stamina, your health. And so I I sought to dismantle that right in the introduction of my book and take this, you know, huge thing and tackle this giant with, you know, some stone (laughs) and to say, perhaps it's not about escaping one or the other perhaps it is about this chaotic collision and Mm -hmm. seeing what we can make um with our hands but also what we can make of ourselves in the midst of you know these things existing together yeah yeah movies about writers give the impression that the way you write is you you know sit at a desk and you look out over the ocean Mm. uh somebody somewhere said uh if you from if you from the movies, you would think writing was a form of interior decorating. That <laughs> <laughs> they and and uh, you know the writer goes off to the cabin or to this to the beach house or the whatever. Yeah. Um, and you know that's that's good work if you can get it. But the yeah. truth is, most of the most people I know who are doing creative work are doing creative work, and also taking care of small people. And mm-hmm. usually they have a, some other job. You know, there, there's. Um, there are so many ways. Um, there's so many distractions. And, well, let me just say, I'm not sure how do you even write if you don't have a full life that that's creating um, inputs. Like yes, it's as if the the uh, in the movies writing looks like something that just comes out from inside your your brain and comes out. And as you know from living and writing things are coming in and that's right. where the, that's where they create, you know, so much of the, the raw material for creativity. Absolutely. Just like you were saying before, there's, there's a lot to say about that 
outward looking, you yeah. know, and um, some of that comes in the form of the people that we're bumping into day in and day out Absolutely. and the conflicts that we have with them and mm -hmm. the resolutions mm -hmm. and um, all, all of that, it, it comes from that. And, you know, another thing that's explored in, in, in this book, Creativity by Csikszentmihalyi, that really um, has changed the way I think about how I approach my creativity is that creativity is is so seasonal and circular mm -hmm. and yeah. cyclical. Like it's not linear in the way that we would think it is. And so you might have that blocked out time where you sit down at your desk and everything is clear and you have a beautiful view in front of you. Um, and maybe you don't have ideas come to you, right? And so yeah. you you can do everything in your power to make that quintessential experience of being a writer or a creative or a maker, right? Um, but it's it's actually in the living and in yeah. the loving and the losing where you know you you're getting those stories, um, those ideas, those themes that yeah. inspire the work that you want to explore and and maybe eventually do create. Yeah. Um, let's talk about mothers and art mm -hmm. and creativity. Um, I think, you know, I think it's so important for, for moms to, to, mo you know, to, to, to model creative, you know, creativity in all its forms to their children. Um, and I think it's dangerous for the a child's development for the, for the mother to give the impression that, that, that she exists for the purpose of, serving those only for the purpose of serving those obviously serving children is a big part of what parents do mm -hmm. um but to to model for children that you know one way we image the the image of god is by making stuff yeah and not just cleaning up after kids which again i'm not in any way discounting the importance of taking care of kids uh, but also sometimes letting kids clean up their own dishes is something that's good for them too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how old your, your kids are. Maybe they're not ready for that yet, but. Oh yeah. No, I have a four-year-old and, and, a, and an almost two-year-old. Oh yeah. They should be washing their own dishes. <laughs> yeah. That, that almost two-year-old, uh, you know, <laughs> we're having some fun there, but yeah, just like you're saying, you know, I have a four-year-old and, you know, such an inquisitive age. So observational, um, and deep and intricate and you know four-year-olds are so daunting almost because they have these deep and heavy and weighty feelings and thoughts and um and there's so much information right now and you mm -hmm. you're so right like it means so much to me for my kid for my son to see the thing that i am making and why it matters to me um in addition to what I am doing at home, right? right. Um, yeah, I think that it is a message that always needs to be said and heard that women can create. Um, and I'm not even just talking about art right now. You know, right. there are so many women that are building businesses. Absolutely. There are so many women that um, it, maybe it's not generating income, but they mm -hmm. are building volunteer-based uh, communities or initiatives and projects, you know, or maybe there is a little bit of art, there's baking, or there's, you know, so many people painting, stepping into painting now and being their, their own artists. And um, there's just, you could never say too much that, yes, you can do this. 
even as you are mothering, even as you are, you know, cultivating friendships, mm -hmm. you're a daughter, you, you were juggling all these things. Um, and I, and I want to say the same as, a, as for men too. Sure. You know, I, I wrote in one of my chapters on play, um, which was, is turning out to be a big chapter. I didn't, you know, I just thought, oh, I think I want to write about play and, and I'm hearing such great things. You know, I think adults really are, want to hear that permission that not mm -hmm. everything has to be about usefulness that there mm -hmm. can be just this you know play to to oh. to do things for pleasure and that is totally my husband i mean he will come and play on his guitar for hours and teach himself new scales and yeah. you know sometimes i'll ask like what what are you practicing for and it's it's for nothing. It's just for play, you know, or his fishing. That's, that's the new thing these days is, uh -huh. you know, and so there's so much to play with the, all these gadgets and tools and, yeah, right. and things to learn. So, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the whole idea of the Sabbath is, I mean, not the whole idea, but a big part of the idea of the Sabbath is if you stop working, the world is not going to collapse. Right. And, right. and the Sabbath is a model of what kind of where we're headed. And um, where we're headed is not that we're going to be useful. It's that we're going yeah. to be loved. And yeah. Um, and uh, well, good. You're right. I mean, I, I these things are just as true for men as for women. I think it's it, for for whatever reason it's harder for women to believe it. I think that that their creative work is important um, and and is something that's worth. Even letting the kids go play Legos by themselves for a little while so that, you know, so that mom can go make something. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so I'm thank you for for voicing that um, for the women who are in your in your world. Absolutely. Yeah, there's I think there's a lot of internal and maybe just like innate fear, insecurity. There's also, and this is something that I didn't go into so much into my book because honestly, it would be a book in of itself, but there is a whole history behind why that could even be a thing for women. You know, this idea of being able to do something for pleasure, right? Yeah. Um, historically, we know like women bound to kitchens, right? Cooking meals, the, the the caretakers of the house. And so there really is also a history to this and, and almost this inherited like, well, but this is how it is. And this mm -hmm. is how it has to be. So we are up against so much. Um, and, and I do think there, there are some good chapters in here that kind of that push against that and give that permission. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. So, Another recurring theme in your book is the idea that we, um, um, well, that we have this habit of questioning whether our work has worth. So how can you know that creative work is, is worth what it costs? Because it does cost something, right? Yeah. Doing, doing creative work, it, it's costly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that there, there are so many degrees as to why we create and how we can know that it's worthwhile, right? And so I think that it helps to put it back into perspective that you can create for yourself, 
right? Like you can create for the sake of exhale. You can create, you can make things, you can write, you can journal. Um, you can uh, fictionalize stories in your head. You can bake, you can do all of these things for the sake of release, right? Um, and so in terms of that, what what is the value of that? What, what is the, what what worth does that carry? Well, it's the state of your soul. Mm-hmm. And how are you doing and how are you feeling? And is is this medium, whichever one you've chosen for whatever particular season, is it helping you experience exhale and peace and release? And then I, I do think that there is this, this other side to where, okay, now I want to take this thing that I love, kind of like in my own story, and I want to contribute something to mm-hmm. society, to the people that I am in direct communication and community with. Mm-hmm. I want to do something with this. And so maybe that passion or that pursuit becomes public and you begin writing books or you are sharing poems on Instagram mm-hmm. or you are taking these sketches that always remained in your journal and now you are selling them and now you're painting on canvas, right? Um, and so I think that, you know, I kind of talk about in my first chapter with, uh, you know, this and using the spine of like Madeline Langle and what she says in terms of like, what, what is good art, right? You know, and, Mm -hmm. and really anything that is redemptive, that explores these themes of redemption, that helps to bring uh, calm where there is chaos, like that is good art, Mm -hmm. right? That is good. And so if we are taking these things and contributing them to the people that are around us, the societies, um, the groups, the churches, the online communities that we serve. And we are helping to instill or cultivate within others that same thing that we have experienced, mm-hmm. may it be peace mm-hmm. or exhale or order where there has been chaos, then that is good. Mm-hmm. And maybe that doesn't always look you know, that's not always reflected in book sales. Uh Maybe that's not always reflected in, um, you're not on that bestseller list. Maybe you're not, the business is bringing in as much money as you had hoped or Uh (laughs) that would sustain you. (laughs) Um, but are you say maybe you, we need to say probably, probably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, lots of questions come from that. Um, But are you helping people? Uh Truly, are are you helping people? Is is the art, this thing that you are making, is it helping people? Are you hearing from people that this is bringing them to healing, that it is bringing them closer to the people that they love? It's bringing them closer to God. You know, and that kind of brings me back to just a a final point is that that worth, um, you know, and I talk about this in the third chapter of my book, but like, ultimately we really do have an audience of one. Mm -hmm. And um, I explore this thought through uh, this concept of the beholders share this idea that God is both artist and he is both audience. Mm -hmm. And so in that interaction between us and everything that we do in our lives, like he is ultimately the one that assigns value and worth Mm -hmm. to all we are and all we do. And so at the end of the day, you know, whatever it is that we're doing, 
however we're working, whatever we're making, um, as we do those things, we can do them knowing that he has his gaze on us and that through that interaction, like he is calling us good. He mm-hmm. sees us as his sons and daughters. He is bestowing his love on us. And in that is so much worth and value mm-hmm. for our lives, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you say God is both the artist and the beholder, that's us too, right? We're always beholding mm-hmm. and always making. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully, hopefully we're always making. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think that's uh, a really there, that interplay between the creation of the making of things and the receiving of things. It's it goes in in all directions at all times, you know. Yeah. And, and if you're not receiving, you got nothing to make. And that's, that's, that's also good. And I, I love the point you make about um, bringing order where there was chaos, because even if, even if we're defining it in terms of, did it help somebody? It's easy for me to um, either downplay that it, this is really, you know, things I make are really good for people or sometimes nobody does see, right. You, you really do put something out in the world and, and it feels like nobody paid any attention to it. Yeah. Um, and uh, but if you are making order, some sort of order where there was chaos, um, that's that's good work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even if it's just for you, mm-hmm. even if it's just for you. Yeah. Yeah. You. Point out that the, the human story doesn't start with the fall. Right? It doesn't start when we started sinning and you know getting it wrong. The story starts with creation, and over which God said, "This is good. This is good. This is very good." Um, how does that truth shape the way we think about work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like to read just that portion because right. I've been hearing a lot about, you know, in particular, this one line. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, this is in, uh, the first chapter where I say, um, you know, when faced with the choice of light and li- life and light or death and disunion with God, She, Eve, and Adam stand there, two bodies, bare and unbelieving. They forsake faith and they bite into the fruit. They fall with the fate of every human heart on their fingers. They didn't just break a set of rules. They broke their hearts open to Satan's unbounded way of being. They broke their hearts wide open to a way of life that pushes back the light and love of God instead of pushing back the dark with God. Brokenness wasn't our beginning. We began as breath bound to the heartbeat of God. We were not damned from the beginning. Darkness was. We were not bad and broken from the beginning. We were believed in from the beginning. We began not prone to wander, but prone to worship. I um, I really thought to myself, if I'm going to write a book on creativity, then I have to start with the creation story, just mm-hmm. like everyone else. <laughs> yeah, right. But how can I, how can I do it in a way that I'm not hinging on 
the part of the story where it's always about the shame, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think we've all heard that story. Yeah. A lot. We've heard it enough, I think. (laughs) I've heard it enough, you know? Um, And while that will never go away and we can never um, wash that part from, from our origin away, there's something too focusing on the fact that when we started, we were good. All was good. And so I think I just try to highlight that a little mm-hmm. bit, um, maybe hinge my focus on that part a little bit. Um, and I do think that it shifts our perspective and knowing, um, you know, that we are not, you know, there's this feeling or this thought that we just, we have to continually be good, that we have to fix things ourselves. You know, kind of like going back to the garden and, you know, Eve is just, they're sewing up these clothes made of leaves mm-hmm. and it's like, we have to fix it, right? We have yeah. to cover it up. And um, and I don't think that's the invitation there, right? There, There's an invitation to confess. There is an invitation to say, here I am in my sin and, and what I've done. Um, and I think that as, as, as we do that, as we, here's how we do that. We can do that in our, just, you know, in our lives and in our loving, we can do that in, in the work that we do. We can do that in, in the things that we make, whether they are churches, businesses, companies, whether this is, um, paintings, dances, spoken word, all these different video games, um, movies, all of these different things in which we are allowing ourselves to confess the state of our souls. Mm -hmm. And in that kind of confess that we need someone, something bigger than ourselves, who ultimately that is Jesus. That's, you know, the Lord. And, um, and I think in that, you know, find that we are, this is another thing I say is like art as a way of climbing towards the light. Like we are, we're not trying to fix things. We know that we can, we cannot do that. Um, but we are climbing towards the light, towards the truth, towards God, towards his love, towards one another, mm-hmm. inch by inch, mm-hmm. story by story, painting by painting, poem by poem perhaps we are just confessing and climbing our way through, you know? Now, how is that idea that art is, is, you know, climbing toward the light? How's that different from say, um, I'm going to behave myself and, um, and um, somehow justify my existence by being good. And by, um, you know, I I guess, how's this different from a, a kind of works righteousness? Yeah, I think so much of art is um there's some there's a there's a there's a level of question in art, right? And there's a level of curiosity and there's a level of um you know, maybe not all art, but but most art aims to be honest in in the fact of like I'm trying to figure this out. You know, I'm trying to explore what I think um or reflect what I know, that which I know at this time, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that there is something, again, so honest about that. Um, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a question even, of putting up signposts, not arriving, but saying, mm, yeah. reader, listener, viewer, look look in this direction. And, yeah. and that points us toward. Like a here I am. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Um, okay. So work out the an apparent contradiction here for me, okay? You just got through talking about that. Our story starts with good, you know, that that God created and declared it good. You also say that art rises up from that which is broken and imperfect and unseen mm-hmm. and unsure. Mm-hmm. Um, how do those two notions? I you know, on the one hand, I pay attention to the fact that my you know that creation is good. On the other hand, art's always growing up out of the brokenness and and uh, imperfection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. Um... You know, in putting into that equation, we do recognize that there is brokenness in the world, mm-hmm. you know, and that is that is from the fall, that is um, from sin, sin entering this world. And this idea of, you know, taking that which is broken, taking that which is um maybe even uh, hurt, in pain, unsure and unseen. Um, And cultivating from that, I think, a sense of hope, Hmm. a sense of hope and and wanting um, to, you know, as I said before, like climb towards the light, climb towards healing, climb towards hope. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a reaching. It's again this idea of confession um and so i i think that goes back to again to you know this idea of being able to create where you're from and starting where you're from and and there are so many of us that maybe we are in a season where there is brokenness right mm-hmm. and we find it hard to believe there you know where is the goodness of my story and end of this world where is that um and so perhaps the hope is that, you know, in starting where you are and starting in that darkness, um, using art as a way to climb towards the light through that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I think that there's something so, I think this is what I aimed to capture um, when I share just about, you know, I quote um, Jeffrey Leonard from his book, Creation Rediscovered, where he talks about um, the creation story, but from the ancient perspective, Mm -hmm. right? And really just enriches um, what you might think you know about Genesis. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, but this idea of tikkun tikkun olam and um, this idea that when God created the world, right, that he, uh, that he created light, he called light into being, saying, let there be light, right, that he creates this boundary of light that pushes back the darkness, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. doesn't completely banish it, right? There's still uh-huh. this existence of darkness. And so, this Judaic concept, there's this idea of like, yeah, in that God is almost surely like i'm just saying almost surely but it's like Uh he's demonstrating this act that potentially we are invited into Uh that we to ourselves we might not be able to banish all that is bad in our lives and in this world but we surely can 
attempt to push it back mm-hmm, that yeah. that with the light with goodness you know that we can attempt to pu- to push it back and so yeah the whole premise the whole thought of this book is that perhaps art is a way of doing that perhaps creating creation the act of creation just as god is creating and he pushes back that darkness perhaps that invitation is for us too you know and so i don't think that the brokenness and the whatever is bad in our lives and ultimately in this world it's not going to be fully gone mm-hmm. in this time you know but to think that we are invited in pushing that back mm-hmm. you know yeah. and there's something there that is um intriguing and and almost empowering mm-hmm. yeah yeah pushing back darkness creating order where there's chaos and that's that's another principle of creation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so good wow all right we're running out of time here so but before we before we go i want to i want you to, to hear your answer to my traditional last question which is who are the writers who make you want to write okay i always love this question uh-huh. and my answers are always unexpected so i'll give um the two that were really formative in my younger years, and then okay. I'll give a few that are current. Right. But Dr. Seuss mm-hmm. and Shakespeare. Okay. Um, lots of repetition in my writing, and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of that was picked up from Dr. Seuss. Mm-hmm. And there's a deeper story there. I have a brother with special needs, and mm-hmm. so you know, Dr. Seuss has a huge role in in our the life of my family. Um, and then Shakespeare, oh, Hamlet, mm-hmm. the idea of not saying really what you want to say ophelia and 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 hamlet too and just being uh so uh just bound by his you know the circumstances of a story so i just like fell in love with that and um both of them are huge inspirations modern uh, these days uh joan didion love mm-hmm. her prose mm-hmm. um i and Voskamp, again, just mm-hmm. this poetic, lyrical way of writing prose. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, someone that I'm just falling in love with uh, currently is Maya Angelou. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, those are a few. Another you know. person with North Carolina connections, right? Yes, 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 absolutely. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, Rachel Marie Kong, thank you so much for being here. I, I uh, love your book and, and hope a lot of people read and benefit. It's good to be here. Thank you, John. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.